Um, I'm Jesse Cleverly. I'm creative director at Wild Seed Studios. We're a BAFTA-winning IP incubator based in Bristol, making scripted content for audiences below 30. Um, and uh, before we start this session on um, drama and the differences and choices that producers and indeed commissioners need to make when choosing between local and international, um, I must thank the wonderful sponsors of this session, Daryl McQueen. Um, the CMC depends on the support of over 70 sponsors, and we are particularly grateful in this session to Daryl McQueen uh, for backing us. Um, also, don't forget to vote on the other films, uh, the other One Minute Save the World films, um, and the details are all on the CMC homepage. Um, so, uh, yes, as I said, this is a session where we are going to talk about uh, local storytelling, uh, international storytelling, what the difference is between those two things, what some of the challenges are facing producers and commissioners uh, in terms of making these choices, uh, and whether or not you know, it's a binary choice between uh, local and international. Uh, the truth of it is, however, that you know, drama is very, very hard to produce uh, without some form uh, of additional funding on top of the license fee, um, uh, or indeed how, however the funding comes in, but certainly a PSB context, it is very hard now to fund drama without some form, and it might be location credits, or it might be co-production or a distribution advance. But obviously, you know, that gives a producer who's trying to close their finance some, some tricky choices, because you know, on the one hand, uh, you might want to configure your drama for international to bring in extra finance, but on the other hand, actually maybe those big international co-productions somehow slightly miss or don't quite sort of deliver full flavor because they're sort of trying to sort of occupy some kind of, I guess, sort of mid-Atlantic editorial positions. So um, these are all the things we're going to be talking about. Um, I'm joined on stage by a slightly dauntingly um, high-powered panel, so um, I'll do my best to appear confident oh. and uh, <laughs> one of the peers. Yes, and, and there they are. Uh, so next to me is Sarah Muller, who is standing in for Amy Buscombe, who was unable to come. But, but Sarah has just uh, made a glorious return to the CBBC um, as head of acquisitions and animation. Uh, next to her is Tim Compton, who's the joint head of kids at Lime Pictures. Uh, next to him is Jackie Edwards, who's the head of BFI YACF. FYI. Young audiences content fund, please. Young uh, audiences. <laughs> they loud, so proud, Jesse. The, the, yes, the British Film Institute Young Audience Content Fund, Thank to you. give you your full title. Thank you. Sorry about that. Early gaffe. Um, <laughs> ne <laughs> next to Jackie is Amanda, who's the creative director of content for S4C. And finally, very much last but not least, Foz Allen, who is the creative director at Bryn Coed. So, welcome everyone. Thank you for your time at this horrifically early hour. But maybe what we should do is just start by asking each of you uh, briefly uh, to just tell us who you are, where you work, and what you do. Sarah. Okay. Um, obviously, I, this is a very last minute edition. And if I'm really honest, whilst this is a subject I'm really passionate about and I've done quite a lot of and have plenty of ideas about. You're just going to have to forgive me because I haven't done anything really like this in the last three years. So some of my knowledge might feel a little bit um, dusty, but we'll try and make it relevant. Sorry about that. Um, I was in charge of drama development for in-house at CBBC. Since then, I've gone on to head up children's at Channel 5, which really means milkshake. And after that, I've been lucky to be running the children's channels at Sony. And it's marvellous to be back uh, at the BBC now. Thank you. Tim. Is that enough? Yeah, that was good, good. I thought, yeah. 
But managing our expectations. <laughs> oh, yeah, getting that now. <laughs> yeah. OK, good. <laughs> Tim? Um, I work at Lime Pictures, who um, are probably best known uh, in a kid sense uh, for Free Rain, which is on Netflix at the moment, um, House of Anubis for Nickelodeon, uh, Evermore for Disney. Um, and we have made some local stuff, too. <laughs> um, and as a, uh, as a company, a big part of the building blocks for it uh, was Grange Hill. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I work there in, in the kids' department. I head it up with Angela Abella. Um, and I'll be try casting my mind back to when we to the last local drama that we made, which is a couple of years ago now. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Jackie, <coughs> if we're still uh, talking. <coughs> of course we are. <laughs> so I'm uh, box fresh into the uh, Young Audiences Content Fund. Fabulous new uh, pot of money for the support of... Uh, development and production of public service content mm. for UK producers, hurrah. Uh, and uh, prior to that, I was working in the BBC in um, a similarly titled job as Sarah's. Yes. Yes. It's about Cal Cal yes. It's uncanny. I, I had quite <laughs> a similarly would, titled yes. job for a while yes. as well. It's, it's yes, yes, not yes. in any way inward-looking or tiny or business. No, no. no. So I, I did a 10-year stretch at BBC Towers, and prior yeah. to that, I was an independent producer for quite a long time, as yes. somebody pointed out in another panel. <laughs> uh, Amanda, tell us, tell us. Um, I'm head of content at S4C, the Welsh language broadcaster. We uh, commission across all genres. We've got seven, seven strong commissioning team. Um, everything is through the medium of Welsh. We've got about a £65 million spend. Um, we're super local, but we are very outward thinking, and I like to think we punch above our weight when it comes to our content, particularly, I think, in drama and kids' programming, which, um, yeah, which we're incredibly proud of. Yeah, I think, well, we'll be talking a lot about how you've leveraged that sort of the, the Welsh drama thing into something very extraordinary internationally, really. So thank you. Foz. Hello, I'm Foz. I'm a drama producer uh, uh, for what seems like forever. Uh, uh, and we bring Coid kind of run a slate that runs adult through children with a kind of definition that is co-watching. We're interested in quality. That's really the thing that we think drives markets and drives audiences. Thank you very much. Right, so um, without further ado, let's, let's just a little, have a little moment to think about, you know, the subject obviously is you know, staying local and I guess in brackets versus international. So Tim, um, I'm going to ask you to cast your mind back immediately. Um, so on, when we, 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 it may surprise you to know we have preparatory conversations on these panels. Um, it's rehearsed, amazingly. <laughs> um, but um, we, we were having a conversation on the telephone before, we, before this, and, and you were talking to me about Rockets Island, for example, so, and, and, and Free Rain, you know, which are not sort of entirely unrelated in terms of content pieces, in terms of the, you know, the, 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 sort of the, the world that they occupy, etc. Mm. So, you know, in, in a discussion about what is the difference between local drama and international drama, I'm wondering if you could just take a couple of minutes to just talk about, you know, that, that, you know what, what is the difference between those two pieces of content? And as an executive producer developing those two pieces of content, I am going to ask you to cast your mind back and pretend you can remember all this. Um, you know, what, you know what, you, you've got a storyline in for Free Rain and you've got a storyline in, in for Rockets Island and you've got slightly different glasses on, right, when you're looking at that in terms of what's the thing you're trying to deliver to an audience. Yeah. And obviously then there was Evermore, which, you know, and, and actually for us we could talk about Wolfblood because they were really quite early examples, I think, of international feeling shiny kids dramas, 
you know, that played locally. So just talk a little bit about the Rockets Island free reign difference. Sure. I think, I mean, Rockets Island wasn't without ambition. It was, um, it was very exterior, really, you know, very beautiful. We were blessed with some really lovely summers. And all of that obviously applies to free reign. Um, but Free Rain is a, is a show about riding, and the, and the brilliant thing about it, um, Angelo set it up, um, and it, uh, it involves a, an incredible horse team who've done everything from Guardians of the Galaxy to Mamma Mia 2. Uh, and you could, just couldn't do that show without them. That's quite a thread. <coughs> yeah, yeah. It is. Uh, you couldn't do that show without them, because it's a, it is a riding show about riding, where you see a lot of riding, and that is incredibly hard to achieve. Without certain that's what goes on the resources. poster. It's very effective. Yeah, that's, that's not the elevator pitch. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in, whereas Rockets, um, much more of a kind of classic BBC show. It was about a foster family on a farm. So uh, there's lots of social realism and uh, tackling issues um, uh, in a in a you know in a dramatically rooted way. Uh, and there was horse riding in it. But Rocket's sister was the the rider, and you yeah. hardly ever saw her on a bloody horse. Um, so no, I remember making kidnaps for the BBC, <laughs> and we were like, let's not put them all on horses. I think they're this unstoppable force on foot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It actually made it better, weirdly, but anyway, yeah. yeah. Okay, so there's, a, all right, so there's the budget constraint, I get that, but yeah. there's the, you know, edit, you know and, and whatever, but you know, editorially speaking, you know, when you're looking at a storyline for Free Reign, are you sort of, well, that feels oh, that's a bit yeah. You know, oh, that's a bit tough. Or are you looking at Rockets Island storylines and going, oh, that's a bit kind of light and a bit kind of fluffy? Or, you know, are you, is it that binary? Or It's not that binary because Rockets had a fair amount of escapism in it. But I think, um, I th I think it is about specificity. So um, global shows have to be... Kind of, they don't have that specificity to them because they have to work for everyone yeah. in 190 countries. So... Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's great we don't have to see them go to school and, uh, you know, dodge the fact that they're in school uniform and that, yeah. you know, sudden immediately is distancing for some territories. Okay, so um, they're better dressed in international drama. That's the first always. thing we've learned. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh -huh. I'm not joking, always. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, so that is a, that, uh, that's a basic difference, but yeah. it's an important one. Uh, and then, yeah, the nature of storytelling, you, you know, you might, you might look at the kind of stuff that Dumping Ground looks at yeah. Um, and through a very British lens on, on something like Rockets. Yeah. And, and, I, and you wouldn't really on Free Reign, with, with a few exceptions. So it's got, you know, it really does not pull its punches. There was an episode in the second series where a horse was really ill, and uh, it's, a, you know, it's an incredibly gruelling watch um, emotionally. Uh, so it doesn't, it's not no, kind no, of I get shallow, uh, but it's that kind of um, global approachableness, really. Mm. And I mean, and Jackie, you know, obviously, you know, they've come up with a really quite sizable sum of money to answer what is, you know, I mean, in, you know, we're calling it market failure, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of, you know, there is a, there is a, there's a perception here that there's a problem, you know, and, 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 and a need, you know, so, so I wonder if, you know, from your point of view, obviously, you know, the, the value of local storytelling. I mean, when you're all when you're all discussing putting this fund together and 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 how, what the criteria should be, you know, what are the discussions that are having happening at the BFI about why we need local stories? Like, what is the value? Do you think of local stories to the audience? I think it's quite simple. Really. I think it's really really important for children to see that their own lives reflected back at them and yeah. the themes, the issues that they 
are confronting. Yeah. But I think, you know, even if it's sort of in a local context, a local setting, it doesn't mean it's not something that can travel either. No. Because all of those themes, those issues, some of them are very universal. For sure. Um, and you think about um, Netflix's sex education. I think that's a really good example of something that's grounded in lovely Welsh land. Yes. Our homeland. Although that summer they filmed and you're like, have you ever seen Wales looking that good? I have. Yeah. Have yes, I have. Yeah. Yes, I know where that, exactly okay. where that yes. is. And sadly, it's very I'm, beautiful. I recommend it. I never, I've never picked that summer to go on holiday <laughs> in Wales, sadly. <laughs> but, you, you know, you think the sort of um, the themes and the issues. But, you know, it's, it's a show that does very well in, in sort of several places. But, you know, there is a real importance to it. And it's part, you know, very big part of the reason that the fund is, is, is in existence. Mm. Ofcom identified that there's not enough live action public service content that reflects British kids' lives. So mm. we are very super keen on supporting that. Um, but, you know, as I say, it doesn't mean that they're not shows that can't get funding. But I think it's that resistance of international buyers to live action because mm. they all feel the same as people at the yeah. BBC do, it's not reflecting our kids' lives, so we're unsure of it. So it's very, very hard to secure a pre-buy sometimes. Is it not? And distributors, it can be, mm. uh, and distributors are sort of quite resistant, because I know a lot of people have kind of not recouped but, on but, investment. But we, we, sp we spoke on the phone, didn't we, and we talked a little bit about, for example, Grandpa in My Pocket yeah. as an example of a show which... I mean, I, I it's won't... A great, it's a great let's just preschool drama example. Mm. Now, there's the thing. It, you look at it and you know it's British. Yeah. But it's like British with the, the brightness, the contrast yeah. button to full up. Yeah. But it's that thing. It's recognisable. You've got lovely intergenerational relationships. But it's like sort of almost magical realism for preschools because yeah. you've got that heightened reality feel because of the look of it. It's British but kind of bright and pops more. You've got magic. You've got a magical grandfather. Yeah. And it's, it's quite funny. Yeah. So it's travelled very well. It's gone to 106 territories. But, I mean, you... But it, exactly, 106 territories. But they, but they never made that with any... There was no co-production no money in there, was there? No. And um, there was no co-production money. There was no distribution advance, yeah. as far as I understand it. But it sold very, very well. Yeah. But, you know, who could have predicted? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to come to you guys, Foz and Sarah, uh, to talk a little bit about kind of the pros and cons of this. But be before I do, Amanda, you know, w you know, you, as we were saying in the intros, I mean, S4C has had, you know, some amazingly big international successes, you know, based on stories that feel extremely, like, in their bones local. Don't, and and we, we were having some really... I thought that conversation we were having... I thought the conversation was interesting anyway. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but you were saying, so I thought, some really interesting things about what it is about the way in which local actually provides you with a window into international, so in a slightly counterintuitive way. Just, could you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Because obviously th that's what you guys do pretty much every day, isn't it? Yeah, I, th I think there's a real opportunity at the moment to celebrate the local because it differentiates us. And when the market is flooded with so much content, it yeah. can feel very samey. Yeah. Um, and that works to algorithms to deliver what they think audiences want. The unexpected, the stuff you didn't think yeah. you would find, is really valuable. So I think local universal, and, you know, everybody, everybody talks about it now, but what that means actually is something that gives you a world that you feel is different to the other, other things that you can watch. Yeah. And I think that's a massive opportunity for us. Um, in, in the dramas that we've done, 
the, the focus has really been making sure that the landscape is part, is a character in the drama. Yeah. So with keeping faith in Boromerger, you know, Lan, it couldn't have been set anywhere else because, you know, Faith looks out over those amazing, you know, vistas and, yeah. and you're with her in the moment and yeah. it, it feels like it's part of her story. Similarly, uh, Agwith Hinterland, Kreif is set in Snowdonia, uh, Bang is set in Patalbert. So they're all places that, that create worlds that are set in the landscape and the landscape is part of the character. So, um, you know, it, it just helps people find something that they can share the next morning that makes them feel special because nobody else has found it yet. Yeah. And that's what's great, I think. But also it gives the thing a sort of... I, I mean, I think this point about, you know, local pointing out at Universal. I mean, you know, the other way of doing it, I guess, is you make a drama that feels extremely sort of international, you know, and, and you hope that through this you'll sort of make a point to us. You know, a, a, a more you know, you make a specific connection with an audience member. But I think, you know, and this is I think what you're saying about slightly about Grandpa in my pocket is like, you know, by making that show feel, you know, very rooted in British seaside town, despite the fact it was magical realism, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but you know, there were seagulls constantly mm. squawking in the background, you know. And um, so I think the point you were making was that actually, slightly counterintuitively, there is a way of getting to something universal by actually coming through a very, very specific door. Yeah, yeah. Do you, what do you... So actually, we didn't discuss this, but I've just been thinking about the relevance now as everyone's mm. been talking. And there are shared areas of cultural significance. And I feel in the case of Grandpa in My Pocket, apart from magic, which everyone allows can be a British thing and travel yeah. for various reasons, yeah. it's the nature of the grandpa. Yeah. And the significance of recognisable nature of yeah. that relationship. And I've been talking culturally to a number of people from all around the world internationally. And that grandparent thing is something that everyone will buy into and understand. And it doesn't matter if you've come from the German population where children grow up a bit slower, yeah. or America where they favour a stereotype driven approach to their comedy have you yeah. would you want me to sidebar on that what that I, means because it's, it's all about our traditions of what we've watched and then it's working out it's extrapolating where those points connect when you're thinking about something international it doesn't mean it has to be expensive and glossy which i think is good news it means you just have to have thought very careful about the intellectual an emotional heart of something and how that will reach different audiences in different places. And I've had many conversations with our US colleagues working at the big international channels about their approach to comedy, for instance. And it's so the antithesis of how we would work here, which is everything is character driven. You spend a long time with your characters, you get to know your flaws and you use those to drive the story and the humor. Often, a US-based children's comedy is stereotype-driven, which I personally really struggle with, because it means they say it's a shorthand for the audience to understand if they see the jock or the, the blonde, they know what right. character they're going to get exactly, and the audience doesn't have to think too hard about laughter. Yeah. So that's an area where we're this far apart, but yeah. then surprisingly, on small, very personal, recognisable things, we can bring things in. So I think... I will just boil that point down again. Is it glossy and expensive? Doesn't mean international well, we'll at to, all. Yeah, we'll talk about we'll talk about how much money we need to spend on it in, in, in a sec because I think it's a huge. I think it's you know at the heart of it really. I mean, 
Foz, you, you know, you have made, you know, I was looking at the list of things you've, you know, you, you guys have been doing and been involved with, you know, over the Wolf Blood, obviously the Athena now, you know, back in the day, Robin Hood. I mean, these are all things which have done brilliantly, I think, internationally, and yet at the same time, you know, really tried to stay you know, in touch with character and things that feel a bit more kind of... Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you're, you know, we are fellow production company owners. It's a terrifying thing. Um, and we're all trying to make the cash flow work and win a commission and keep everyone's mortgages paid. You know, when you're sitting in your office and you're, you're thinking, OK, what are we going to take forward here? What are we going to put our money and our time into developing, etc.? You know, what... what you know, what... And, and a project comes through your door, and, you know, what are you looking for in that? And, you know, what are the pros and cons? Because on the one hand, obviously... I guess as a drama producer, you could say that, I mean, I'm making this up slightly, but, you know, there is real, you know, there's real satisfaction, isn't there, in telling a small, intimate, truthful story about something that the audience really struggle with. And there is satisfaction in telling a big, hairy story about werewolves rampaging around a wood. Yeah, so, yeah. so, you know, what are the pros and cons from you from, as a producer when you're, when you're sitting there making these choices? I, 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 I want to back up Sarah's position in the end, because whatever the rapper, yeah. it's about the emotional engagement. That, that's it. So, yeah. you know, kind of Jackie's very interesting on sex education. Sex education is a British show, but its storytelling techniques are all American. You know, that's a jock show, you know, kind of, you know, the jock has become a swimmer rather than, a, yeah, and so True, on, yeah. yeah. But we're all enjoying it, and, you know, I mean, Netflix is, it's off the scale, you know, and you kind of go, so that's local, international, by merging. Merging, yeah. And I, I, I think there's a way of looking at our products, and, you know, and I do a little bit of this kind of thinking through yeah. the slate, and at one end you've got your Bentleys, you've got your Chernobyls, you know, uh, uh, in the middle somewhere, you've got your ITV thrillers, which are your Fords. Uh, uh, and then you've got your little uh, uh, new electric cars buzzing around at the edge, whatever they're called, are, uh, uh, kind of, you know, trying to make a difference. Hands and up, then, he's following this extraordinarily it's, it's convoluted metaphor. metaphor. I'm loving and it. And then you've got the, like, the passionate and uh, distinct. Yeah. So, you know, S4C, Welsh language, is a very clear definition of what it needs to do. Yeah. And you guys have been thinking very carefully for a long time about how you articulate that. And that's led to some really interesting stuff. And you kind of go, OK, so that then becomes a, like a Morgan free-made car. You know, kind of on your own over there. Anyway, my point is... OK, I'm getting to the point, right? Where the are we going is, in this car? Where are we going in this car? Each one of these cars has an engine. <laughs> yes, and the engines, OK, are emotions. Keep going. Thank you very much. I'm loving okay, it. OK, so... <laughs> Okay. So the emotional engagement, how you make people speak to people, you know, yeah. kind of in a philosophical sense, drama exists notionally to, to remind us that we have more in common than separates us. That's yes. it, right? So if I'm taught, there's a kind of great study from a few years ago now about the Manchester United fan in Malaysia having more in common with the Manchester United fan in Manchester than he does or she does with the, their parents because they're yeah. 16 and they're playing iPods and they yeah, 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 yeah. So that Linking means the mum and dad are cut out. So if you can find the story that allows mum and dad and them in, you've suddenly got a reason for everybody to engage. Yeah. And that, to me, is the heart of all our thinking on shows. But, but, but I mean, Tim, as a producer, you know, and, you know, thinking about the bottom line, et cetera, et cetera, you know, is it hard for you? Is it... Uh, this is a really hard question to answer on this panel, sorry. But is it hard for you to feel as excited about a low-budget local drama than it would be for a big, hairy, international, co-produced thing? I mean... You know, is local drama a hard thing for a, for a production? I mean, you guys are quite, you know, quite big and very well established, yeah. understandably. Uh, but, you know, what, 
it, it, like, honestly, is there a bit of a like, oh, we should do it, but God, that's going to be hard, and oh, I've got used to Netflix money now, and you know. I mean, the, yeah, the money is lovely, but um, I think I think it's really about the 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 idea and the emotional heart of the project. So one of the things I've fought for hardest and I'm probably proudest of was a three-parter we did years ago, which um, was never going to have a life beyond three episodes. But it was about something very specific and it was incredibly local. Mm. Um, it was about army kids. Um, and it actually got rejected at one point. Combat kids. Combat kids. Yeah. Terrible title. But, but I think I'd have gone with that. But it was, it was, it was really about something. And... Uh, when it got rejected, we, you know, we and our very supportive exec all felt like if no, if the BBC didn't make that show, then no one else would. Yeah. Um, and uh, we did a lot of research, and uh, the kids that we spoke to fed into it massively. Um, when we showed it to them, they really felt like their experience, which is incredibly unique, it's so specific, which is probably why it was never going to be returnable. They felt like they'd been represented. Um, yes, I mean, this word returnable, it's tyrannical, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Because it makes you design everything in a certain way rather than going, OK, we're just going to tell this amazing story in three parts and there you go, that's the story. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, but what's the... Has it got legs? Yeah. <laughs> yes, but if you don't do that and it is successful and suddenly I the know, second I series know, is visited on you, we've all seen the whiffy second series that's nowhere near as good as the first one. I know. So you haven't got any idea how it's going to happen and how you can move it onwards. Then you are limiting yourself. So well, you it's a are, yes, but... You are, but on the other hand, some stories just like Chernobyl, series two, maybe not. No. <laughs> Fukuhama, though. Fukuhama would be great, right? How did the Japanese cope? <laughs> Next, Three Mile Island. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Hold on. That's good. Um, okay, so um, could talk about that, obviously, for the rest of the session, but moving on, um, let's talk a bit about money. Um, let's talk about production values, and, and because obviously, you know, it feels to me like there's this sort of almost, I don't know if it is, but it almost feels like there's this sort of sub, it's kind of accepted wisdom now that the audience got used to high production value. That's sort of something to tell all the time, right? Is that really the case, do we think? So, Sarah, let's, you know, you're at the BBC now, and, you know, you guys have done everything from, you know, I mean, I did You Get Me when I was at the BBC with, with Billy and Maddie, actually, which cost absolutely nothing, but was fantastic, we, we thought. Um, and then we also made Kidnapped in New Zealand, you know, which was, you know, considerably more. Um, so, so what, you know, what do you think, as someone who is now trying to win an audience, and I'd love to hear from you on this as well, Amanda, but, you know, you're trying to win an audience who are going, oh, should I watch Netflix or CBBC or whatever, that, you know, the choices they're making. To what extent do you think that the sort of shininess of, of the thing Personally, I don't think so at all. And that's based on watching the viewing patterns of the young people around me. Um, I was talking to Jesse yesterday, because we haven't talked about animation yesterday. I know, today, today no. I know it's largely a drama panel, but it does apply as well. The standards, how do you compete with yeah. the big Pixar and DreamWorks animation? And maybe you don't need to. I think as long as the idea and the characters are engaging enough and you tell it appropriately, that I think the problems come when you try to do something very ambitious on not enough money. Yeah. I think if you spent more time thinking about what you can do with 
what you've got really yeah. effectively and make it part of the project, yeah. then people will turn up. I mean, my kids, well, they're in their 20s, you all know, what's something absolutely astonishingly awful called Big Les, but it's, uh, and it's an Australian animation that's just an internet thing and it drops occasionally. And it's just some really bad animation with Australian guys swearing the bejesus and it's it's an event it's become an event but it must cost 5p to make so it shows you that um if you're really careful and really think about what you do you don't need the money obviously you need it for some things but if in, if you are going to become ambitious then you do have to fund it properly does that make sense right so over ambition the bigger danger than low budget yes Yes, okay. I think that's, that's absolutely right. The use of your resources is is the key thing, and th therefore that's that's why the you know, the difference in generations between people who've learned to do things on iPhones, which yeah. gives you an extraordinary shot of imagination and energy in Hutzpah, and people who make twenty-six part series that come back. Yeah, they're, 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 they're different beasts because the resources are used in the right way if you've got the right money and all that kind of stuff. So you you, you were talking about Wolfblood. Wolfblood exists in the way it exists and is shot in the way it's shot. Because we said it has to be beautiful and it has to be quick. Yeah. Okay. And we had, and the way I kind of gauge the size of my shows is how many people am I buying breakfast for? Okay. How many people do I pay breakfast mm. for? And Wolf, that's a 30 person show. That's a relatively small show. So Robin Hood is, is 120 people. You know, so yeah. that's how you gauge where, so of those people, how many are they, are, how many are key to the conceptual stuff that's on? Screen and in that, in the case of Wolfblood, it was all about the camera, yeah. camera use, camera filters, camera, you know, all that kind of stuff. Actors are great, scripts great, all that kind of stuff. But the resource was about camera and gotcha. making movement, or oh, that was our choice. And that, yeah, 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 yeah. Using that resource, taking a decision, you know, Chernobyl has all the money in the world, and still it's quite dark and dour and close and tight and a growing terror. That's decisions, yeah, decisions yeah, on their resources. Yeah, absolutely. Know. And I mean, Amanda, you're the creative director of content, so you're. You're, you're steering your armies across many different battlefields daily. Um, <laughs> Hello, General. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and you're, and, you're, and, you're, and you're talking to producers all the time about how much money they need to spend or don't need yeah. to spend, and I imagine at S4C often there's quite, you know, interesting conversations about budget and resource, but at the same time, obviously, you've also done very well in the, in the adult drama space bringing in co-production money. So, so how do you, you know, when you're looking at what money is required and... You know, and you're looking at an idea and you go, okay, well, here's the idea, but here's the money you need to realise it on, and I just don't think those two things are quite, you know, the size of, you know. It, what, what, what are some of the calculations you're making in, you, in, your, in your HQ every day about resource and, and what's needed to pull it off? Well, it starts with your schedule. It starts with, you know, how many hours you need to fill, yeah. where you want to prioritise your genres, what the genres do for the audience, and how you can justify more spend on one, one than the other. Um, about 37% of our content is children's content. Actually, lots of repeats in that, but that means that children's content yeah. is a real priority for us. Um, and then drama obviously pulls in the audiences for us, and it pulls in a diverse audience, which is also important when yeah. we're trying to think about reach. Um, but... It comes down to the choices and being very pragmatic about what you can achieve. Our budgets for drama are between 200 and 250,000 an hour. 
That's nothing. No. You know, that's nothing. But... Bye. <laughs> well, that, that's, you know, that's often the first impression. That's breakfast However, on closet yeah, yeah, that's 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 yeah, yeah. this is the point. However, you know, Keeping Faith, which was made initially on that kind of budget with some distributor funding and, and, yeah. and co-funding from the BBC, um, so, you know, the total budget wasn't that, but, you know, that became one of the fifth most downloaded dramas on iPlayer last year, yeah. you know? Mm. So it's up there with Killing Eve, it's up there with, with the biggies, with Bodyguard, you yeah. know? So how do we do it? Well, you have to go at it and look for something special in the proposition that somebody's giving you. And you have yeah. to say, what's universal about this? What are the themes? What are the human themes and narratives here that are going yeah. to draw people to it? Can we afford to do it? Are we being too ambitious? Or is this something we can really do on our budgets? And that's where you start. That does limit what you can do. And, you, and you know, there are two elements to that that are frustrating. One, you know, we can't do what everybody else does, but what we can do is do what we do extremely well. Mm. The other thing is, um, you know, the landscape changes all the time in terms of crewing and in terms of um, talent. And what we often find is that we're the ones that take the risks and nurture, and then we lose people to the bigger players, yeah. both in terms of crewing and writing and directing, yeah. you know, across all levels. Yeah. And do you know what? Um, that can be frustrating, and we've got to be careful. We really guard against that, and we have to, therefore be seen to be funded well enough to be able to continue doing that. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm quite proud that that's what we can do because that talent also comes back. And it's about being something really important in the ecosystem um, and, and having that value, which is genuine PSB value. And, and I guess it also sort of stops you doing that thing that we all inevitably do, which is end up working with the same seven trusted people because it's just too it's you know it's just too hard to choose to go with that person who's untested and and i guess if you've got natural kind of talent churn it means okay we're always looking for a great new director and we're always looking for you know yeah no absolutely i mean you look Channel 4's remit is to take risks. Yeah. I reckon S4C takes more risks than anybody. We yeah. have to. Yes. And okay. sometimes that works brilliantly. Sometimes it doesn't, but no. that's OK, because yeah. that's how we have to work. Uh, and I'm just, proud of it. Just to give an example of that, uh, uh, I made Belonging in, uh, uh, for BBC Wales, which is a regional opt-out that went on 10 series, with A. Ross Lynn, who is now Happy Valley, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, as the director. And he was 22, but had already done, I think, 10 hours of, of uh, uh, Publicum and Iglas and, you know, so he came as this young, skilled person with the energy of youth because it had access in a way that most English language young directors were still getting out of university. Yeah. They hadn't, you know, hadn't been there. And it was a proper collision of energies and, you know, yeah. public service at its best. And, and what's brilliant is we still have a relationship with Eros and, you know, we, we hope to work with him and that he comes back to us. So that's, that's kind of what we do. Got you. Got yeah. you. There's a lot of Welsh people on this panel. I've just <laughs> noticed. <laughs> diversity. Can, can, can I just say, about I'm diversity. like a mile and a half down the road. I'm from Rotherham. I'm not, I'm not Welsh. I, I worked in Wales, and I like Wales very much, because it's like Rotherham, but with a funny accent. I mean, it's okay. true. And this is our moment. <laughs> I mean, like, I, yeah, right, this is it. This is it. We've waited is, a long time. Yeah, yeah, this. yeah. yeah. This is it. You'll look back, you'll tell your grandchildren about this. Uh, um, so, Jackie, let's talk a little bit about the Young Audiences Content Fund because obviously it exists, you know, in these dilemmas and conversations people are having all over the place about their budget, about which shows to develop, about what it's worth taking a risk mm -hmm. on. So, 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 
I mean, I came to your panel yesterday, which I thought was great, and you know, it is an extraordinary opportunity, obviously, for everybody. But but maybe you could just talk a little bit about, um, you know, what is the role of that BFI fund now in terms of, you know, ensuring that that content is produced, and and what is the fund's view of budget in terms of the the, the, the sort of feasibility or or, or or viability of productions. Yeah. Um, I see the fund as a great opportunity for broadcasters that uh, haven't been able to do the shows they want to do. You were talking about, you know, cutting your cloth to suit your show, yeah. what you really need, and yeah. sort of putting aside those shows that maybe <clears throat> there's not enough cash to do the most ambitious things. Yeah. Well, there's an opportunity now to do those shows because of the fund. Yeah. Because there's this, you know, we can do big, ambitious, risky shows. I think that's the opportunity presents, and different broadcasters' tone of voice and in decisions, we can reflect that whole breadth now. And whether it's sort of small amounts of money or larger, the opportunity's there, and we are flexible, um, and we are really open to the exciting ideas, whether the budget is large or small. And it really is about those fantastic ideas that are relevant to British audiences. And in terms of you know that 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 i mean i guess most savvy producers have got very used to to sort of you know editing their thought process mm -hmm. right at the beginning mm -hmm. where you go this is a local show it's never going to da 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 therefore we should you know we need to keep it interior we need to keep the cast down we need to keep you know whatever whatever well no longer i well, guess you can be expansive but think about whether or not you really need to do it yeah. what is it going to bring what do you really need to do to tell that yes. story properly yes you know and don't do it for the sake of it because the cash is there do it so you can tell you can tell a story in a better way. But, um, and think mm. more expansively, for sure. Mm. But, you know, every show is different. We know that. Yes. But, you know, there's an, there's an opportunity to go for the shows that you haven't been able to do before because that extra money is there. Yeah. And, and perhaps not compromise. Kind of just on the international thing, we, we've got a show that's about a... I won't do the detail of it, but it's about a group of crews involved in crime, one way or another. Uh, and most of the international buyers are not interested in kids and crime. That doesn't sit in their Yet. moral barometer. Yet. Yet, because you think about the transportability of adult crime dramas. Yeah. They're very popular. Yeah. But, you know, but the controllers of the streaming children's. services in particular uh, view their moral mm. compass in terms of children. Uh -huh. so, so we're adapting our moral compass on this show because there's lots of other bits of the show that I think are important and good to make it a spy show, right? Mm. So these people are now doing undercover illicit work for the good of the state as opposed to the... And certainly, everyone's interested. It's all very exciting. Mm -hmm. So the kind of thinking is, is like you think for every broadcaster. How do, you, how do you sit inside their moral compass, their view of the world, what you, know, what you need to do without compromising you? Mm -hmm. That little compromise actually hasn't hurt us, I don't but, think. But, but when, when the kids were involved in crime and now they're spies, that's a very interesting... I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's but, a sort it, of it, subtle it, shift. It, it's a completely subtle, but, but they're still committing crimes. it's also crimes. kind of quite... Right, yes. They're still, you know, they're still breaking in, heisting, and all that, but they're doing it on behalf of the state. <laughs> so that's OK. Good. Oh, so that's, that's OK. <laughs> oh, that's OK. Yeah, but that's I mean, great, right? say about compromise I mean, who hasn't is? spied for the state, right? Saying <laughs> about compromise is, you know, I think... That's an interesting sort of differentiation. It's yeah. still crime at the end of the day. You know, depend, you know, it doesn't matter who you're doing it for. But you know, with the funds, you could actually make the show you were thought of in the first place and then see what the appetite was for sales later on as yeah. acquisitions yeah. rather yeah. than pre-buys. Yeah. There's an opportunity yeah. not to have to make those compromises. 
Yeah, and I think sometimes, you know, compromises are what we all do every day. You know, life doesn't exist without compromises, and creative compromises sometimes bring, bring brilliant ideas to screen. Um, because it's also another way of talking, you know, of, of describing it is collaboration. But um, sometimes it's the stuff people didn't think they wanted that surprises and pushes the boundaries and makes the difference. And that's what the fund for us will enable us to do, hopefully, if, if we're successful, is do that in children's, because we haven't done it yet. Yeah. Um, and, and, and how does the local universal thing translate to children's content? You know, there are a series like Scam that have managed to yes. do it, and they've tapped into something just brilliant. So what's our version of that? Mm. And how exciting and how risky can we be and, and give people something they didn't know they wanted? And, and when you, uh, poor, poor Sarah's not feeling massively well, it's, we haven't upset her or anything, I, I think mm -hmm. she'll come back, but um, uh, when, you're, when you're thinking about, the, you know, these choices, you know, at S4C and you, and, you know, you go, okay, we could bring an international partner to this from the beginning or, you know, and obviously for the story you've just told about, you know, crime and the way that sits. You know, when do you when, when you're thinking, oh, do we bring an international partner in from the beginning, or do we try and go it alone for a bit longer? What are some of the you know what? Are, I mean, some people would call it compromise. Some people would call it creative conversations and evolution. And but what what, what are the sort of you know? I'll, I'll come to you on this first, Foz. But what you know, the advantage of of having an international partner in at the beginning is, you know, what what are the advantages and disadvantages? I guess of having that conversation uh, from uh, the beginning. Uh, I, I really don't know. Tell you the truth. Uh, yeah. uh, we do the stuff we're interested in, and of yeah. course we're uh, market savvy. We have conversations. Yeah. We come to events. You know, yeah. we, we talk we on panels. And, yeah, we try yeah. and get to the conversation. But yeah. in the end, we kind of go, "Oh, that idea is interesting. That idea is not." And that's about our sensitivity and tone. And there's there's a core cool group and lots of conversations. Lots of yes. we shouldn't be doing this. We should be doing that, and all that kind of stuff. In the end, we then build that, and that maybe is a small amount of money. New writer, a couple of pages a day for, then we'll start the conversation with broadcasters. Mm. Or it's a significant amount of money. So we're spending quite a lot of our own money on mm. a script to the point where, you know, SVODs won't engage as a rule with you unless you've got a script. Yeah. Which in, you know, in, in, in adult business, drama is a yeah. 25, 30, yeah. 40K spend. Yeah. You know, and that's quite a lot of money for small scale operations. Yeah. So you've got to be clear excuse me, that that's what you want to need, I think. So once you're clear, you can then go and have the conversation. They go, oh, no, spy, not crime. Is that something we can go with? Yes, we can, because we've done a lot of thinking about this world. We never yeah. understand it. If they'd said uh, uh, sport, not crime, yeah, the show would have fallen apart. And, so and do you, do you no. find, Amanda, that it's, there's a... I mean, I remember when I was at BBC Films, we were often, like, you know, 500 grand in a... 10 grand movies so it meant that even though we developed it you know often when it actually came to the to the really hard conversations you know in pre-pre-production if you like we it was you know harder to keep a seat at that table because suddenly there's someone in the room who's putting nine and a half million quid in and understandably you know so so you do you find like how does s4c protect its editorial position in a in a world where people are coming into shows early with maybe even more money than you you're putting in uh, well, being first helps. Yeah. Um, being the person that you know, takes the risk from the beginning, and we we had a, a we've had a brilliant drama producer, a drama commissioner in Guar Marfa, who yeah. sadly isn't with us anymore, um, yeah. but this, but will go on to amazing things, I'm sure. And um, <clears throat> she was very strategic in the way she approached it. She was there for seven years, and she built the ability 
to trust talent because she also nurtured the talent across that time. So she was able to then take strategic risks on things like developing In Mercher, Keeping Faith. We developed all eight scripts before any other broadcasters came along. And that was uh-huh. because we had a brilliant commissioner who yeah. had faith in it and could see something in it. Yeah. And, you know, she had our backing to do that. Yeah. Um, so you have to be first. And then I think, you know, is there an advantage in having an international player in from the beginning? Of course there is. You know, the advantage is that you've got, you can be more ambitious. You can yeah. be, you know, uh, you, you, you can broaden your horizons in terms of the kind of content you mm. can create but it absolutely depends on the partner as well mm. because it can be a poison chalice and um they are going to be more risk averse than you are mm. uh they're not going to get the difference the, the, the difference that you are no, and, exactly. and that you bring sometimes so yeah. it depends who they are the other thing i'd say is that i don't know why this happens <laughs> but if a series is successful, the second series is always always more expensive. You know, so the second run of something yeah. you'll find suddenly is much more expensive because success, you know, yeah. just means everyone that people's expectations more are confident. different. But also, I think everyone feels confident asking, don't they? Yeah, yeah. So you know, often for us, the first series is easier. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but but that uh, you know that doesn't mean that. And and often when you're dealing with um, you know, co-partners and co-broadcasters, um, they have to get you as well. They have to be comfortable taking your risk because that's what they, they bought into Got from you. the beginning. And like I say, that's often easier on the first series. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I'm so sorry, everybody. All right. Thank you. I'm pretty sure back. that's Are never right? happened before. <laughs> no, it happened, actually. I think it might be me. It happened to Kids Creep as well. <laughs> I may have violently, violently ill. Oh. It's because I'm so passionate about the yeah. topic, clearly. Oh. <laughs> Do carry on, everybody. <laughs> See what you did. <laughs> See what you did. OK, so in a minute, we're going to have some questions. So I know it's early, but please think. Um, but let's just talk about you know where all this could or couldn't go. Do you feel up up for a question? Yes, of course. Okay, so if we get this right, this 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 new sort of you know I say new, but you know in this new world where there is this sort of super premium international and there is this new opportunity and obviously there's growing opportunities. I think probably to make stuff at lower budgets because of technology, etc. If we get all this right, what do you think? You know, what does the, you know, maybe for the BBC or maybe in the wider kids' business, what does it look like if we get it right, do you think, you know? I think it looks marvellous, actually. I think the opportunity, it's a very exciting time, the opportunity to offer our audiences the very widest choice and different types Mm. of storytelling told in different ways across factual and scripted. Mm is extraordinary and very excited and I'm very happy to be part of it. It can only be a good thing. Uh, I've been involved in a much more businessy side of things, but we always talk about mixed models. That's always my go-to position on anything. Fund things differently, do things, take more risk over here at greater expense, but balance that with doing something simpler, more elegant and easy and Mm. that's planned to be cheaper, designed to be cheaper. And I bring that with me as a cultural point as well. Mm. It's wonderful to be able to offer a whole sweep. And that's what people have got used to with the Earthsfods, I think, because it isn't all glossy stuff. For every Stranger Things, there's very definitely a kissing booth. And, you know, there's room for it there. I think the thing it's just worth saying across all of this discussion and everywhere we find ourselves is making sure that 
our audiences can find what's right for them, that they can uh, navigate the, chain, the choice that they have. Because yeah. I think that's increasingly becoming the thing. We have fabulous program makers here. There's so much great stuff around. But how do you find it? How do you make sure your audience finds it? They're not reading newspapers and opinion pieces in quite the same way. So what are the clever things we need to build yeah. into what we're doing, global or local, to make sure that the super fan who doesn't know it yet will actually find it. And, and, and I mean, obviously, you know, there was, there was a, thank you, there, I mean, there was a risk, Jackie, that the fund was there to mitigate, wasn't it? And the risk, what was the, you know, which I guess is what it looks like if we get it wrong, right? Mm -hmm. well, which what, we won't. No, which we won't, of course we won't. <laughs> uh, but, you know, truthfully, live action drama, for locally produced live action drama for kids has been a slightly threatened creature it's been a very tough world to, to yeah for people to so so, so the risk if we get i mean i know we're not going to get it wrong but you know the thing you guys are trying to prevent is what um uh we want to see uh, as sarah says it's about choices offering mm. our young audiences mm. choice and different experiences mm. through different uh genres and drama is such an important um way of telling really relevant stories to mm. our young audiences so the risk is if we don't we're not able to provide a good variety through mm. the auspices of this fund because here's a golden opportunity mm. to prove a big point about the importance of children's drama. Mm -hmm. um, so we want to see variety. We want to see all things big, small, something in between. Uh, and if, if it went wrong um, and we only ended up with sort of endless kind of mid-Atlantic, kind of, you know, shiny mid-Atlantic, whatever... This is also a really difficult question, but is that something that we would mourn more than the audience? Do you, would the audience notice, do you think, if it was all sex education and and sort of lemony snicket? Do you think they'd go, oh, God, you know, what, would... I guess is it is a sort of I mean they might not know what's good for them and I'm perfectly prepared to accept that as a group of kind of adult professionals involved in the enriching the lives of children we might know a little bit more about the unintended consequences than the audience do mm. but you know in your research did you does the, as the audience is the audience conscious of the value of local stories do you think they like to see themselves, yeah. we know that. Well, so they must be, right. And the, yeah. the popularity of long-running shows like The Dumping Ground and, and things like that, yeah. they speak directly to yeah. our young people. Yeah. And so they would feel the absence of those shows that speak directly yeah. to them. They love the other stuff as well, but it's about variety. It's offering them a really rich, rich mixture of programming that yeah. speaks, says different things but speaks to them. I mean, Amy, who wasn't you know, who's not here, obviously, was saying that, you know, she thinks that the sort of two, you know, the sort of there's kind of two modes that the audience is in. You know, one is sort of mood management, where you mm. kind of go, I just want to chill out, I just want to be in a fantasy mm. world, I just want to go on a journey, I don't want to think about anything. Well, we're all like that, aren't we? Yeah, mm. absolutely, uh, certainly. And and then there's the you know, and then there's the other kind of drama where the audience feel like actually I do a Chernobyl, I guess, for for adults, where you kind of go. I mean, I personally have got Chernobyl sitting on my on the box at home, and I'm just like, am I strong enough to begin? And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and I watch and I watch a bit more sex education, and I go to bed, and I think, okay. Good. It's yeah, also yeah. part of, I think, Jesse, it's also part of, we, we have lots of conversations about what we can do that the documentary people can't do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, because of drama, that's, yeah. that's good. But you, so you look at 24 Hours in A&E, for example, which I think is a great show. If that were, if you were commissioning Casualty now, you wouldn't commission Casualty in the same way. Right. Completely different landscape because they've changed the world. So as we look at, you know, the dumping ground or, you know, Hattie Feather, when, when Sarah was putting together Hattie Feather yeah. and we made it, there was a whole conversation that period for kids doesn't work. 
They're not interested. They have no context. They don't yeah. know, which is nonsense. You know, yeah. it's kind of clearly historically nonsense. But you know, people get into bubbles, yes. and occasionally those need knocking out. Yeah. Docs can't do period in the same way. It's one of the reasons drama continues to do period. Yeah. You kind of go, so that's an interesting thing for the fund. You know, yes. kind of how do we engage with that, and make that work, yeah. and yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. So I think there's a whole kind of range of stuff that's a much wider context than just you know what's public service in its short form, mm. what's public service in the, in the broader context of the and, world? Yeah, okay. And uh, before we, just before we go to questions, uh, 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 it's funny how little we've talked about platform innovation in a world of digital, Facebook watch, you know, Twitter video, whatever, 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 and we're still talking, you know, the entire hour about episodic television. Um, I don't know why I'm looking at you, Tim, but I am. Okay. Platform mm -hmm. agnostic, it doesn't matter. Platform agnostic. But, you know, when you're looking at the, you know, thinking about, okay, how do I make sure that Lion Pictures is here in 20 years and da-da-da-da, you know, and obviously audience consumption patterns changing and, you, you know, we don't need to rehash the, 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 the known shift. But, but do you think about, you know, platform innovation as one of the ways in which you sort of hedge against the future? Do you, or is it just so hard? I mean, we've all had the conversations, haven't we, where we go, God, wouldn't it be great to do this or that or the other? And you go, yeah, hold on, who's going to pay mm. for it? And how's that going to work? And then you sort of go, okay, back to 22-minute episodic television then. But do you think that there's an opportunity for producers, for the people in this room, to be thinking about platform in a new way as a way of making sure that they're still here in however long, you know, 15 years, 10 years, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. But with the caveat that, that I think old viewing habits die hard. So uh, we've got the builders in at the moment, which means we don't have a, a dish, but we, so we're all watching on demand. And uh, I thought, sorry, I thought we we're in another false metaphor there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we've got the builders in. And, okay. In the garage with the car. Right? Where's yeah. this, and there's that car again. Yeah, sorry. So, uh, so you might expect linear TV to not really feature in our in our diet at the moment. Yeah. But, but my kids are watching the same amount of CBBC and CBBS as they were before. Got it. Um, and I, and, I, and that also goes back to what you know what they come back from school needing, and I think it is to see themselves reflected. But um, yeah, I think I think uh, it just. It just gives you more opportunities to access it. I mean, Amanda mentioned Scam, which is obviously probably the poster child of currently of um, sort of, you know, I don't, it's a Scandi show about a group of teens and sort of dark goings on, but there's a lot of stuff on social media and other platforms and, you know, then picked up by Facebook as one of their first originals, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, so um, you know, I mean, and obviously you, you curate multiple platforms. I'm doing my usual yeah. thing of running out of time for questions here, but I did. But, um, <laughs> But you know, you create multiple platforms and are and are obviously watching that audience shift from a very, very sort of crow's nesty position. You know, what 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 role do you think producers and commissioners need to start really giving? Because really, there's been very little, hasn't there? Really, Can, compared to the size of the change in the audience's behaviour, the form of storytelling has remained remarkably consistent. Yes, and some of that's across, some of that's yeah. conservatism, and some of that's. Yeah. Because, as you say, old old habits dry hard. But but at S4C, what are you trying to drive towards? Yeah, I think old habits do die hard. What you you asked whether um, you know a, a cross-platform strategy was one of the ways in which you know we can future-proof. It's the way in which we yeah. can future-proof. It's absolutely a cornerstone of our yeah. strategy going forward yeah. because. 
We just did our first digital short-form drama, Merchid Parchis, Respectable Girls, yeah. which was a, a real risk for us and, uh, and was brilliantly written by new female talent that hadn't worked for Linear before, hadn't written for Linear before. So that's a really important cornerstone for us. There are a turning point for us. And we've just announced four big projects that are cross-platform projects that we're going to work with um, producers to fund over the next two and a half years at half a million each, mm. which are going to be linear, cross-platform, you know, every element, every tier of every um, platform that is available to us is going to be used. And that's about creating that's phantoms cool. around content. And that's about thinking about the linear broadcast as being the apex of a triangle that's much broader. Yeah. So, and, as, and kids' content, you know, the short form, kids' dramas towards for the future, they have to sit on every platform equally comfortably. And yes. so it's the only way we can do it, really. Yeah. It's integral. Okay. Um, right, three minutes. <laughs> Uh, has anyone got a question they'd like to ask this lady? Just wait. If you could just wait for the microphone, that'd be awesome. It's just coming down here. Keep your hand up. Thank you. Thanks. Um, very interesting uh, panel. Um, Thank you. I just wanted to say that that the local thing. What well, we've, we've got found research from Ofcom. That Sorry, who, who are you? I'm Jeanette Steamers, and I'm from King's College. All right. Thank you, um, Jeanette. From Ofcom research, up to about 40% of, I think, 8 to 12-year-olds find that they're not reflected on uh, screen in this country. And I was really interested that the only person who kind of mentioned sort of engagement and participation in a kind of a, a deeper way was perhaps Tim, when he talked about how you consulted kids when you were doing your, your series about the army. So I just wanted to ask the panel, if, if you want to stay local, how are you going to get kids in the UK involved? Because we're seeing quite a lot of the older children are moving away from traditional platforms. So how, do you, how can you get that engagement and get them involved? Because you mentioned SCAM, and one of, the, one of the reasons why SCAM was so successful is because the Norwegians did consult with their audience, yeah. and they're not the only ones to be doing that. It's also happening with, with other online series as well. I mean, when are we going to see you know, the, the online version of Hollyoaks for kids, for example, which really sort of engages with them. And I'm stealing an idea from Jackie there, so she can answer that one. Oh. Okay. Jackie. Well, I think it's more Jackie, Jackie will send you the check in the morning. <laughs> Jackie, perhaps you'd like to say that one. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not producing. It's sort of producers call that, but I think you're absolutely right. Um, you've got to kind of go to the people that you want to talk to with your programming and see what, how they want yeah. uh, you to engage with them and what will induce them to engage with your content. Yeah. So you're, you're absolutely right, Jeanette, as always. <laughs> I think just to, just to add to that, it's also about finding the right channels to talk to people. So we've got a show in place. We've found a 17-year-old kid from South London who made a 90-minute movie, which isn't great, but has a fantastic voice, who is delighted to be working with a team of writers around his age, overseen by a, a, a pro in terms of story structure and stuff. And our brief is to defend his voice and then sell that to them. But if, without him and us looking, we wouldn't have a way of doing that, so we'd have 35-year-olds writing about 16-year-olds. And, uh, which I want to resist. So you, you end up in a kind of push-pull zone. Until you find the right talents and you've got to look, you can't really make innovative work. 
I think it's a, it's a really good point, and, and that's something that's the forefront of our mind when we're devising our new sort of short-form dramas for kids. So we are planning to work in consultation with them. We're working with the Scandies and getting the experts in to talk to us about how they made Scam. And uh, I think it's, it comes down to what's going to differentiate us and what, what will make the, the local really work in children's content, is getting into that world that is unique. And we assume we know, but we don't. Well, I mean, one of the things I really occurred, I, the, Greg, the Axeman Childs has just arrived at the back, so we have, to, <laughs> we have to stop in a minute. But I mean, one of the things I've really um, uh, understood, I think, as a result of this conversation is, is, is and there's something you said, I think, really, Foz, was about you know, when you know what you're doing, then you can really start to make your resources go a long way. And you certainly do see on some of the big platforms shows where you go, that show only cost that much because no one really gave it a sort of point of view. And I think, you know, finding a point of view and producing a point of view, I know, I know it's over now, um, is, feels to me like a really uh, valuable thing to do. And with that, thank you all so much for your time. Thank you. Yeah.